lot With a pink hotel, a boutique and a swinging hot spot Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone They paid paradise, put up a parking lot You're listening to Green Minds, the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network podcast. I'm Laurel here with you. I'm the Assistant Director of Sustainability for Nashville, Tennessee, and I am now going to be taking over the reins of Green Minds and looking forward to be interviewing several special guests with passion, interest, and experience and dedication to the field of sustainability. On this episode of Green Minds is featuring the founder and host of Green Minds Think Alike podcast for SSDN, Chris Stanger from the city of Winter Park. So here is my conversation with Chris Stanger here on SSDN's Green Minds. I am excited to be interviewing the outgoing founder and host of this podcast, Chris Stanger, how's it going, Chris? Great, thanks, uh, thanks, Laurel. It's it's going to be different being on this side of the uh, microphone, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Well, yes. Well, you have left big shoes, I should say, a big microphone. <laughs> uh, you're leaving behind, and um, I, I am honored to have the opportunity to uh, be taking over. And hopefully, we'll have another partner from the SSDN network that will be joining me. Um, but we, of course, wanted to start off with the first podcast as the reins are being handed over to talk about you, since you are leaving the SSDN network and have already actually left and taking on a very cool role, which we'll talk about just shortly with the International Code Council as Director of Energy. And congratulations on that. It's very exciting. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, first, I do want to talk about the podcast because uh, as our SSDN and hopefully others are tuning in right now, um, you know, of course, podcast has become a popular medium that that arose probably about 10 to 15 years ago. My career being in radio, I was fearful that podcasts would uh, deter listeners of radio, but at least local radio has continued and I have embraced the value and the, the informative nature of the podcast. And so... Um, let's let's take take us back a little bit, Chris, because you have been doing the podcast for SSDN for quite some time, and um, it, it, the original title was Green Minds Think Alike, which now we've just dropped the Think Alike to Dell Green Minds. Um, but can you talk to me about the evolution of why you came up with the idea and how many years you did the podcast for SSDN? Yeah, so we started this podcast just kind of on a, you know, I had an interest. I liked listening to podcasts and I thought it'd be kind of fun to to do and to share the stories of people within the sustainability field and within our network, um, both in the Southeast as well as USDN. Um, and so, you know, at the annual um, SSDN conference, this one happened to be in uh, Durham, North Carolina. Um, it's probably four, four or five years ago now um, that, um, you know, we decided to, to give it a try. And I was able to find some from some free software that I was able to operate from my phone and laptop computer and, you know, was able to get uh, quite a few of the sustainability directors there in Durham uh, while we were all meeting to, to give us some uh, interviews along the way. And it was just really fun uh, in order to to be able to share our stories of what we were doing in our local jurisdiction. So, you know, really because there was a low barrier to entry, 
um, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that it's able to live on in the network, even as I'm transitioning out of the network. Now, I do remember that day, Chris, because you had you had a set up in a conference room and you you had some back then it looked like high tech technology <laughs> <laughs> and we did the interviews. And I remember immediately thinking, wow, you have a great voice. Have you done other types of broadcasting or anything like this before? I have not. Um, you know, I've heard from time to time that I have a, you know, a face for radio. So, you know, but uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, but again, it's something that that is interests me, and and um, and so no, I, I haven't done anything beyond it, um, and just glad I was I was able to take on that opportunity and, and to share a lot uh, with what's been going on within the network. Mm-hmm. So over the years, um, certainly, I'm sure every single one of your conversations has been inspirational and interesting. Is there any one or two that pop out at you at uh, surprise you or extraordinary? Well, you know, I really enjoyed the conversations I had with uh, Maggie Oldman and uh, uh, Glenn Hedwin, or Hadwin about just sort of the formations of USDN and the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. Um, I, really what I, I enjoy about these podcasts is sort of having that oral history that we can share and pass on to people that come in and out of the network. Um, and those two podcasts really sort of set the stage for, for what was happening. And then, um, Maggie, we happened to record that one in, in Nashville, um, as she was transitioning out of the network and, mm-hmm. and Meg Jamison was taking, uh, the reins. So that was, that was a, a, you know, a good podcast to have in regards to just that transition. And, you know, obviously having people that have now left the network, um, that are, you know, that we had the chance to record as well. It, it, it's nice to go back and hear their voices and, and kind of get a sense as to where they were heading with their careers. So, mm-hmm. you know, each one of them, I, I go back and listen to multiple times um, just because they're, as you're giving an interview, you don't always pick up everything that they're saying as you're thinking about the, the furthering the conversation. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of them have a you know special place for me, depending upon the topic. Um, so, you know, but, you know, having that history of the network, those, those, um, those sessions were really the ones I, I really enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. And Chris, it would be interesting to go back there and look, and look at the, the list of your, of your guests over the years and to see how many are still in their position or may have moved to a new city or moved on still in the field of sustainability and, and, um, and what they're doing these days. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I'll do a follow-up with Maggie and check in with her and see what's Absolutely. going on. Yeah. We, we talked, you know, just briefly before I, I left my position at Winter Park, um, she had some interest in some work that she was doing to talk about what was going on with the energy codes and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were never really able to touch base. But yeah, it certainly would be great to have a follow up because, you know, I know she probably did some really interesting things uh, post SSDN. And, and now that she's kind of back in her consulting role, it'd be nice to hear uh, what, what she's up to. So mm-hmm. I think that would be a, a great uh, uh, session to have. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I I find uh, really fascinating. Um, it, so certainly, I, my, so my I'm 46 years old, and the field of sustainability. You didn't go to school for sustainability back then uh, when I was in college, and so um, my age demographic. I, I it seems interesting to see how their career evolved into sustainability, and what mm-hmm. they majored in, and what they did first, and how they stair stepped into their passion and interest. Um, I only wish that I had the opportunities that are available today to be able to um, have that as a major um, in 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 college and beyond. Um, so I, I bet that's been a little bit interesting when you talk to people like, "Oh, I had no idea you did that. Who would have known?" Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm only a, a couple of years behind you there, so yeah, very similar path. You know, coming through architecture for me um, into sustainability, but yeah, I mean that's certainly one of the questions I would ask people is, um, mm-hmm. is where they came from in, in order to, to get into their positions. Um, you know, and then you have someone like Glenn, who's, you know, one of the people that's been in it for the long haul uh, and just hearing those conversations uh, were really interesting. So yeah, absolutely. Um, having that very background, I think it provides, uh, you know, a diverse perspective of sustainability that maybe if you do have people that are just coming out of a school, that's kind of, directed at that, you may lose some of, of that diverse perspective. So I think there's a give and take with that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, a good transition because uh, I'd like to go ahead and, and talk about you, Chris, and about your your career. So indeed, I actually didn't know that you were an architect by trade, however you want to say that, um, and which makes natural sense because uh, with, with you going into um, focusing and concentrating on codes, it's uh, all the more excellent to have that, that knowledge base. Um, so, so what brought you into architecture and how did that evolve into you becoming the assistant director of building permitting and sustainability for the, for city of winter park? So architecture, um, I mean, that kind of developed as a, as a kid, my dad's a, a custom cabinet maker back in Illinois. And so I had the opportunity to assist my dad a lot. And he worked on several Frank Lloyd Wright homes, uh, within the cool. state of Illinois. So to have the chance to to work hands-on in, in that environment and get to learn about Frank Lloyd Wright and then, you know, obviously uh, then attending s- schools of architecture at University of Illinois and then ultimately Arizona State for my master's, um, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, both in Illinois and Arizona. So just kind of following the path of Frank there. Um, but ultimately, you know, architecture, uh, can take you in a variety of different places. That's, you know, one of the, the great things about that field is, you know, I, I would say less than half of the, the students I went to, to undergraduate ended up actually becoming architects. Often, you know, some are school teachers, some are in business, some are structural engineers, you know, so there's a lot of ways that you can take the sort of the broad education that you get as an architect, um, fine arts, furniture making, all of that. Um, but ultimately, you know, it I did work for, um, architecture firms, um, both small and large, residential and commercial, and initially out of school. Um, and then after a while, I just got tired of the long hours. I mean, ar- architecture and architecture school is kind of known for, you know, late nights and, and, and long hours. And, you know, I, I decided, hey, I, I want to take a little bit more control of my time. And so I started looking at local government, uh, you know, a little, little bit more structured and uh, a little bit um, in regards to its, its work week and how things were handled. And it was also, you know, a learning experience to see 
you know, once you're completed with a design, what happens post in, in reviewing the codes. And so, you know, after I received my license, I decided to, um, uh, I started out in Orange County. Um, they're just initially doing architectural reviews, but ultimately led into building code uh, review as well, uh, which was something I was able to transition in with my license as an architect. Um, and that sort of ultimately led my, my career in, in codes and code development. Um, after seven years, moved on from um, Orange County into more of a management position at Winter Park and then the ability to take on the, the sustainability um, portions there. I, while at Orange County, I was able to do, you know, that was during, during the initial downturn of 07, you know, around that time um, of the financial crisis there. And I actually picked up hours working for our, our environmental protection division doing home energy efficiency workshops. Um, and that really got me going in, in the, into the sustainability field as well. So, you know, was able to, to get interested in what was going on with Energy Star programs um, and, you know, that kind of fueled that side of things. So ultimately, to be able to bring them together in my new position, which I'm sure your next question is going to come with in, in regards to both, you know, sort of where things were going with codes, but also really to focus on energy, um, you know, was something as I transitioned out of local government uh, was something that I was looking forward to. And you are really a champion um, in, in educating the SSDN and USDN network about the importance and vitalness really of, of energy codes and uh, really championing not, not only just educating us, but also getting us to be advocates mm-hmm. for the ability for us to vote to ensure that we can we can uh, proceed in ensuring that we our energy codes are aligning with our sustainability requirements, mandates, and passions. Yeah. So in the previous way that the energy codes were uh, developed, you know, um, there was an opportunity for people within local governments to have a voice into what was going into these energy codes um, more so than maybe a little bit in this, the way it's now structured, but, um, and, Unfortunately, a lot of that information usually does not get transferred out of the building department to other areas within the local government. And so I I really saw the opportunity to, you know, share that knowledge with the sustainability directors network about, hey, here we have an opportunity where we can really raise from the bottom up um, energy efficiency. And, you know, codes are definitely a way in which we can, um, you know, raise that bar and, and improve the efficiency that otherwise we're trying to fight for with, with other types of programs. So, um, you know, what? very easily we were able to, to get our members as local government and those that are, you know, reviewing plans and so forth to be able to, to have a voice in, in what was going into these codes. Um, and it took a lot of legwork. I mean, we started this effort. I remember getting up in front of folks uh, at my first USDN conference in Toronto um, and saying, hey, we have an opportunity. This is a couple of years before even uh, that particular code cycle was open that we can all participate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to have the network to share that um, information, um, you know, I, I think without the network, we wouldn't have had the ability to do what ultimately occurred with the improvements in energy efficiency this go around. Um, and so it was just, it was just an awareness. And, you know, I felt like I was my, uh, one of my, my duties was to make everybody aware of what was going on there. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, you know, when you think about the field of sustainability codes is sort it's sort of the, the glue, uh, that ensures that the built infrastructure is moving forward and aligning with the goals of, of us. And, and, mm-hmm. and what, like I said, what we're passionate about and what some of it, what we're required to do, but it's not a very sexy thing. It's absolutely you know, we not. talk about no. trees and green infrastructure, sometimes waterways and things like that, you know, that can be kind of fun. I think because, because you can visualize it, but codes is so can be very stale. So did you, yeah. how, did you have difficulty getting folks to understand and be able to get passionate about it? Like you, you are. Well, I mean, ultimately I was able to boil down, you know, the code provisions that or proposed changes to really sort of focusing on things that we were working on. So whether it was electric vehicles or whether it was just raising the amount of energy efficiency um, through a variety of things and improving the efficiency of the equipment within buildings or the lighting systems, the amount of insulation, you know, sealing up buildings properly, you know, all of these things we all talk about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just a matter of, can we get that language? Like you said, that's, it's not really exciting, but it ultimately gets to uh, what needs to happen to make our buildings work work well. Mm-hmm. Um, and since buildings, you know, use a majority of the energy for the most part, um, having the greatest impact, you know, that having that opportunity to sort of relate to the things that we were working on with within our own jurisdictions to the code, and then figuring out how we could um, move those code changes forward. Um, so that that was kind of my role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, so were you, when you, when you were at city of winter park, were you looking for something new when this opportunity arose or did they come and seek you out to be in this new position? Yeah. I mean, they came to me, uh, which, you know, of was, course they I, did. I thought it was, <laughs> you know, that, um, I wasn't necessarily looking for anything at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was involved, uh, within, there's code action committees that um, that revolve around the different uh, building codes. And I was on the sustainable energy and high performing buildings uh, code action committee for ICC. Um, and so the, the person that was in my position was the staff liaison for that committee and had recommended me as a, you know, a possible option to mm-hmm. fill that role. So, um, you know, I was very familiar with what was involved with that job, having been on that committee for roughly five years um, and so had a, had a census to, to what that role would take. And then also just sort of watching as, as things were changing, obviously I talked a little bit or just sort of briefly mentioned the fact that there's been a transition and how that code is, is, is being put together. So, you know, it's fairly political in, in that nature. So I've just kind of been watching as, as that was unfolding, uh, along with, you know, making a decision on where to head with my career. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so folks that are listening in, ICC is International Code Council, um, and I am going to ask you to do sort of a one hundred and one on what ICC is and and how it functions, if you don't mind sharing that with us. Sure. So, basically, ICC, uh, which was developed in the late nineties, uh, you know, really to bring all it used there prior to that time, there were codes that different codes in different areas of the country. And so if you were a design professional or a developer and you were working in different areas of the country, you potentially would be using different codes. And so the whole idea there was one code. Um, So 
ultimately there there was the development of the international code with the idea that local governments would then adopt and states would adopt the international code. A lot of them have done that. I think it's roughly about 44 of the states that have, have adopted the international codes. Now they may not adopt the most recent version, um, but uh, you know, a majority of, of them are using the international codes as the base, and then they may make amendments um, as needed as they see fit for their for their local jurisdiction. But that, in a sense, helps um, you know align the codes across the country. Um, and then, so our role at ICC is is to facilitate the development of those codes. So we don't write them. You know, it's it's local governments through. Or, or anyone could submit a code change proposal. Ultimately, it was it was voted on by local governments, but ICC just facilitates that and and then publishes those codes and updates them um, on a regular cycle. Um, so that's really what ICC does. We we aren't the ones actually writing the language. We're just you know facilitating the process to put the documents together, and then we do a lot of training on those codes as well, so that you know we have a. a several different branches that handle a variety of different things related to them. So who does write the code? Is it a, is it a council? You, it's it, the name council, code council. Is it a group of, of individuals that are elected well, or I'm, appointed or? Yeah, there is a board of directors um, and they, they are elected. You know, they're all building officials throughout the U.S. Um, for the most part. Um, you know, ICC is international in that there are um, nations within the Caribbean and the Middle East that use the I-codes. Um, so there are chapters in those different areas. Um, you know, I was a, a local chapter president in central Florida, you know, ultimately you can move up through the state and then regionally, and then ultimately to a board of directors uh, that sort of sets the scope for the, for the uh, various codes. Um, but uh, you know, so in general, that's how the council portion of it comes about. Um, so I hope that kind of answers that question. Yeah. So then who actually writes it? Is it? So then who actually writes yeah. it? So as I mentioned, there, there's two different processes. Um, there's the codes process and then there's a standards process. A standard uh, has a committee um, of selected individuals that vote um, on code changes, whereas a standard or excuse me, a code is where something where anyone can submit a code change proposal. You don't have to be a building official. Anyone in the general public uh, can, can submit a proposal. It's the same within the standard, but it's a little bit more direct in the, in the um, codes development process. And then it's ultimately reviewed by a committee. That committee makes a recommendation. And then ultimately the voting members of the ICC who are governmental members uh, then vote whether or not to adopt that particular code change. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, it's supposed to be a, a, you know, pretty public and transparent process. Now I know for the state of Tennessee, um, and I'm not sure if this is true of other states across the U.S. So whatever the state is, a local municipality can't go below, but they can go. Their city can adopt above whatever. Yeah. So state. you, you kind of have a what they call a min max. So you've, they, the state sort of allows, hey, here's the baseline that we're going to use as, you know, as a local jurisdiction. You can't go below this, but you have the opportunity to go, you know, beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, so every state's a little bit different in regards to, to how they handle that. Um, and it's not uncommon to have something similar to what Tennessee does with the state sort of setting the minimum. Um, where here in Florida, they set the minimum, but that's also the maximum. So we don't have the ability necessarily to adopt 
a stretch code unless we do something through our land development process that that would require additional mm-hmm. requirements. So, and Chris, can you explain what a stretch code is for for those who may not yeah, be familiar? So, right. So. I mean, this does pertain probably more to energy than anything else, where you have additional requirements uh, that would improve efficiency in most part um, uh, to to what is the base code. So, um, you know, as we're trying to drive energy efficiency down, so there's additional provisions in um, increasing the amount of insulation or the efficiency of equipment or lighting or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's they're written in in code language, so they can be adopted you know, by those local jurisdictions and to be used as code. Um, so you could even have something like a, a lead or a green globes or something like that, uh, or even a checklist that you design as a stretch code. You don't necessarily have to use uh, an international green construction code per se. And now your role as director of energy, are, so it sounds like you're solely focused on the energy components of, of codes for ICC. Yeah, I mean, that's my primary role, although, you know, energy, as you know, and sustainability, it overlaps into a variety of different things. So, you know, I'm also looking what's going in the mechanical and the plumbing codes, because those relate to how energy is used within a building. Um, I'm also looking at the the international residential code, uh, because the energy efficiency portion, there is a chapter within that code specifically on energy efficiency that, that doesn't quite necessarily align with the base uh, residential provisions in the International Energy Code. So, you know, I've, I've kind of got my hands in a variety of different buckets as I'm looking at energy, because as, as we, as we know, it, 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 you know, it's everywhere. And so we kind of have to keep our eyes out for opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to put you on a spot for a second. So I was just on a fascinating a webinar about embodied carbon mm-hmm. uh, that RMI hosted the recently. Now Nashville, Tennessee is is way behind and 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 probably having that as under consideration. But Boston and a few other entities that are on the call are moving forward with some aspect of that. So um, is it is it under your purview to be able to be sort of on the the quote unquote, cutting edge of, of the direction we and, and sustainability and climate change advocacy work um, and introducing that to the ICC and saying, all right, this is what's coming. This is what we need to be prepared for. So, uh, you know, with this recent change from the codes process to a standards process, the board of directors um, put out a new scope and intent for the IECC. And then also as part of that, they're creating a energy and carbon advisory council. So that advisory council is made up of folks. It has not been announced yet. It'll probably be later this summer. That's going to give direction to the board of directors on where they think the future of energy codes need to go. And and the fact that carbon is, is in the title of the committee already gives indication that carbon in some form or fashion is going to work its way more, um, pronounced into the codes. Um, as of right now, that's, it's, it's not there yet, but I, I think we know it's, it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and that advisory council is going to be the one sort of leading the charge. I know there's a sustainability membership council of ICC that's also, you know, made requests to our board of directors to include embodied carbon within the scope of the IECC. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think over these next couple of years where the future of codes are going, carbon is probably going to start working its way in. Um, I'll be there to help facilitate how that moves through the process. I won't necessarily be making actual code changes, but, you know, I'll, I'll be there along the way to kind of um, shepherd that and, and make mm-hmm. people aware of, of where that's going. That's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the future, I think, of, of where things go, especially as we start to green our, our grid as we mm-hmm. get, to, you know, uh, improving the, the, um, the renewables within our uh, electrical grid. That's really sort of the next step to take. We have to. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the future. So, um, so Chris, you, you started out in city government back uh, a while ago, let's see, 2005, Five, right. um, mm-hmm. all the way up until, you know, just recently. So how is this, this role uh, compared to being in city government? Well, it, it is a lot different in the fact that I'm, I'm working from home <laughs> remotely in the, in this position. So I'm not at a city hall. Mm-hmm. I'm my, you know, I'm not having customers walk in the door, um, you know, with, with issues that they you know, are, are dealing with, with a neighbor or, um, you know, I don't have commissioners calling me, but I, at the same point, I, you know, I do have, um, you know, committee members that are, that are contacting me about things that they, they, they want to do with these codes. So, you know, I am more focused, like we said, on, on the energy codes, as opposed to all of the things that you get in, in a small local government where you've got a to wear a a variety of different hats. Um, So, you know, you miss some of the spontaneity of, uh, you know, what's coming every day in local government. Um, But at the same time, it it, it is nice to to focus on something. And, you know, for me, ultimately what I thought was, you know, uh, I certainly miss the folks that I I worked with in in the city of Winter Park and and that community. But ultimately I felt like I had an opportunity to to do more in, you know, internationally, uh, I, you know, I'm working on codes in the Middle East and, you know, here's an opportunity where we can improve energy efficiency across the world. And, you know, that's something that, you know, small, you know, a kid from rural Illinois, that's something mm-hmm. you think about being able to work on projects all over. So, you know, ultimately, I think that kind of helped me make my decision. Um, but it is quite a bit of a change. Well, I could imagine that, um, you know, I, you're working from home and you're putting together these uh, these these requirements that are bettering our planet. Uh, be interesting for you to see the then and now, especially in some of these other countries that you just mentioned too. If there's an opportunity for you to to go there and see the see the new new buildings that are being built that are now having to follow these new um, code requirements. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, I mean, yesterday, I, I gave a six hour presentation on energy codes to the um, building officials and contractors in the state of Maine. Um, I, for two days this week, I gave six hour sessions, I can barely talk uh, mm-hmm. after that. But, uh, wow. you know, that was, that was kind of exciting to be able to, you know, they're transitioning from the 2009 energy efficiency code to the 2015 which is still a huge step. It's almost 15% improvement in energy efficiency, but still, you know, it's not the 2021, which would be an additional roughly 15%. So, you know, but it's great to see these states taking, you know, a movement forward. Um, I know there in Maine, they do have the opportunity to adopt the stretch code. They are giving them the opportunity to adopt the 2021. Um, but yeah, absolutely. In the future to, to be able to travel to Maine and, and other states or internationally and, and see uh, the effect of that work uh, certainly is, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to. 
Well, as you look back on your career in city government and being part of the SSDN network, what are some of your fondest memories? Well, my fondest memories are obviously the the time spent with the people in the network. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we do great work, but the relationships built um, through folks at these conferences, you know, unfortunately, COVID, you know, prevented us from meeting in person. Um, so we didn't get as much social time with, with one another to, to really, you know, bend each other's ear on, on how things were going. Um, you know, but I, I'm still texting po- folks every day and, and emailing folks within the network. And, you know, I still feel somewhat that I'm involved in the network because energy codes are always going to play a role in the work of sustainability directors. So I know Meg has said, hey, we're going we're gonna to get you back whenever we get to Savannah and have this conference one, one of these years, you know, you'll be there. So, um, you know, it's really those relationships and, and also the ability to leverage the power of the network. Um, you know, we talked about it that earlier and, and moving these energy efficiency things through the, the, uh, the co-development process. That was just one thing that we could do when we all came together um, and, and worked as a network. And so, you know, those are the things I'm, I'm going to remember. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of, I totally agree. Lots of great relationships, um, lots of inspirations. Uh, I just have so much respect for each and one of our members and SSDN and the work that we collectively do together to improve our, our planet each and every day. So, yeah, yeah, we're, we're truly underappreciated working for local government and it's, it's great to be able to share our stories and, and the wins that we do get in, you know, with, with passing ordinances or, or, or you're removing, um, you know, the, the Southeast sustainability, um, grant program that, that Maggie and, and Meg were able to put together, you know, it, one of the things I'm interested in hearing is how those have, you know, un, um, how they have progressed through COVID and, and the results that have come out. So those are, you know, opportunities to, to hear in these podcasts as, as regards to those experiences for, for people that were able to take advantage of those programs. So mm-hmm. a lot of great work going on in the network, that's for sure. Well, speaking of, so this is our, our first kickoff of the baton being handed over to me uh, as, as host of the podcast, and hopefully I'll have a partner with me as we continue on with Green Minds and uh, looking forward to having many conversations with, with all those in the, the SSDN network and about the things that they're most proud of uh, that they can share with all of mm-hmm. us uh, in this opportunity and some of the great programs that have had such um, long lasting impact as well, as you had mentioned too. So, um, well, Chris, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I'm going to miss you as being part of the SSDN network, but I know you're, you will be somehow still a part of us and, uh, hopefully I'll actually get to see you in person when, and if we have our next gathering yeah. in Savannah, and I'm sure you'll be doing a, a workshop with us about codes. Cause all of us can always get an, an update on that. Absolutely. And I want to, Laurel, I, I want to thank you, you know, for, picking up the reins here. Um, I am ecstatic to know that um, this is going to live beyond, you know, my, my time within the network because I, I, there's, for me, there's a lot of value in it. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for, for being willing to take the time to do this. I know it it can be a a little bit of a a hassle to deal with from time to time. And you have great experience with your, uh, you know, having been in radio, so I can't hand it off to anyone any better. So, you know, I, I'm again, I'm, I'm really excited to, to have you take the, the reins here. So 
I, I wish you all the best. And if there's anything I could do, feel free to call me at any time. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that so much. So uh, Chris Stanger with, uh, with now the International Code Council with ICC. Well, I wish you all the best and hopefully we'll see you very soon at an SSDN meeting, gathering or workshop or presentation. I wish you all the best moving on. Thanks, Laurel. I, I appreciate it. You're listening to Green Minds, the Southeast Sustainably Directors Network podcast. My guest is Chris Stanger. So I hope you enjoyed that. This is the first episode of Green Minds, taking over the reins of Chris Stanger's founding Green Minds Think Alike. So looking forward to having more guests here on this podcast of passionate experience sustainability experts throughout the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. Look for more Green Minds podcasts on the SSDN website at southeastsdn.org. Till next time, and while you await the next Green Minds podcast, take a walk, enjoy some fresh air, and look up. a parking lot with a pink hotel a boutique and a swinging hot spot don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone they paid paradise put up a parking lot they took all the trees put them in a tree museum Charge the people a dollar and a half just to see them. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. Hey, farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now. Give me spots on my apples, or leave me the birds and the bees. That you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. Late last night, I heard the screen door slam. And a big yellow taxi took away my old man. Don't it always seem to go? That you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. I said, don't it always seem to go? That you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs>